This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Zach Stewart. Zach is based here in Nashville, and I got to know Zach a couple years ago through the group The Cocksmiths, a group of drummers here that I interviewed for the 100th episode. That was a fun episode and definitely worth checking out. Zach wasn't able to be at that one, but uh, it was fun to connect with him for this interview. He runs a karate dojo here in town, and my younger son spent uh, almost a year studying with him. But Zach is busy as a drummer and a teacher. He plays with country singer Jared Neiman on the road, and he also teaches at a local high school, a drumline. He grew up in Kentucky and then went out to California for a short time to study at PIT before his eventual move to Nashville in 2005. Since then, he's worked with many different artists here in Nashville, built up a great reputation as a great drummer and teacher, and then uh, more recently started his own karate dojo. Friend of the podcast, Brian Stevens, has produced some exclusive content for our Patreon page. He put together a 50-minute video a great tutorial on preparing to record and how to analyze your recording chops. I encourage you to check out our Patreon page. For even as little as a dollar, you can access the video and the bonus content that's on there. And like I said, most recently is Brian Stevens' 50-minute video that is just so well-produced and well-done, and we thank Brian for, for doing that. For the month of October, we held a contest with the support of Sabian. They were giving away a 16-inch crash cymbal, and the winner of that contest is Aaron Rosner from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We thank everyone that participated in this contest. Basically, it was leaving a rating and review on iTunes as well as Facebook, and Aaron was our winner. And that is one of the ways that you can support what we do is by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, any of these platforms. It helps us reach a broader audience. And we thank everyone that has left a rating and review so far. As always, you can find us at workingdrummer.net to find out more information about this episode and all the episodes that we've done so far in the last three and a half years. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. We are slowly building our library of past episodes. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Zach Stewart. Myself, you, I mean, you know, we've, we've had different gigs at different levels, but it's yeah. like... I think for the people outside of it, there's like, wait, so you've made your living for the most part playing drums and you've never played for somebody quote unquote famous, you know, yeah. like they think like, you know, they had to see you on Saturday Night Live or you had to have been yeah. like, you know, and, and so, but I mean, I would say probably you could almost go like 10% are that first group you're talking about the, the weekend warriors the next 10% are that the group who bounce from top tier gig and that 80% are in some variation what it is what we're doing you know I mean yeah. there's yeah we all know there's people in you know different markets and even here we might play in a, in a corporate band or some yeah. kind of cover band that probably make considerably more than people on a larger artist gig yep and they never play for my fame you know they have that fame aspect of it yet they're they are doing it like they're making their living and a good living from playing this instrument so like yeah I think that's a mark yeah it's definitely it's interesting you had that discussion with the guys at Pearl because I know I've had it 
over the years with quite a few different um, artist relations people of like, you know, if, if you make your, you know, back in the day, it was like artist relations was just that. Like if you weren't Buddy Rich or Gene Cooper, you know, what I mean, it's like 10 guys had endorsements <laughs> or like at that tier. Um, and now I think they see that value for the most part in people of, you know, whatever their exposure is and mm-hmm. you know, are people seeing you and are you going to be in a situation to talk about the product? And, you know, I mean, realistically, you or I are probably going to be in a better spot to talk to them about our drums than whoever's playing at whatever giant arena, because there's literally hundreds of security people you'd have to go through. And that person, like you're, you're not going to meet that guy and they don't have local openers. I mean, that's yeah. half time. I end up talking about my gear is like, you know, the dude from one of the opening bands sees my kit and it's like, man, what's up with that? I'm like, yeah, here's what's up. You know, like right. if I had a tech or something or like our sound check is no one's allowed in and all this stuff, like we would never have the interaction. You that's know? a really, that's a really good point. I, it's so funny. You say that I, I there's a, a band that we shared kits, a, a gig I did in Nashville and it was the same local band every time we go out there mm-hmm. And so I've gotten to know the drummer out there and um, he keeps asking about my cymbals and he's gone online to look for them and he wants to make a trip to Nashville to Forks, you know, he's not yeah. too far away. And and I'm thinking, wow, I'm not even endorsed by these cymbals. I should call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should call Meinl and say, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that was um, kind of like uh for me going uh, to, to Sonar from, from Apex, you know, um, yeah. the uh, Joe Hibbs, if you're new Joe. I did um, not know Joe, but I know a lot about him. Yeah, I, um, he, he, he brought me on to Apex when I was uh, 21, and we had a great relationship. And uh, when they started, when KHS, the kind of parent company for all that, started yes. distributing Sonar drums, I brought it up to Joe. I said, man, you know, when I was 21 and we sat in your office and we were just talking about drums, not talking about endorsements, just on drums. You know, Joe loves drums. Yeah. And um, he was like, man, what's the one kit? And I was like, man, I've actually never owned one. I've only played a handful of them. But like every time I see one, I feel like I'm looking at something special. And that sonar. And Joe was like, oh, yeah, man. But like, good luck with that. Not meaning like good luck in a deal. He's just like their company, you know, they struggle in the U.S. right now. He was, they had, at that time, Joe's company had no involvement with them, or at least any kind of, you know, managing situation. Right, and right. And all the guys who I ended up crossing paths with in Nashville who had any kind of relationship with them left because of that lack of just um, presence here. So long story short, Joe and I kind of discussed like you know, his thing was like, man, I think we need more guys on the sonar roster like who are out there working. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously there's a certain tier that that brand wants to affiliate with their name, da da da. But you know, if all the artists are the guys up in the clouds, you know, I mean, let's be honest, like you know. Unless the guy at home is going to drop twenty grand, he's not going to have the exact kit that he saw C. Smith play. You know, right. he can get us exact kit. Yes, yeah. You know, or uh, you know, or Danny Carey's hybrid thing, or whoever. You know, I mean, right, right. you know, Benny Grab. I think you know, he plays a pretty standard at the setup. But like, you know, where's the? How do you get those guys to feel that? So that was what kind of sparked the discussion of my interest in it. You know, and then, um, you know, unfortunately Joe passed away and kind of set back on it because I was like, man, last thing I want to do is be the guy who's like. Hey, so Jonah had this conversation. I mean, I knew they were getting bombarded with that. Probably, you know, unfortunately the, you know, I won't, what I, I don't know what I would call those people who probably did that for free gear or whatever. Like I right. was like, I mean, and I knew everybody out there and like, yeah, that was a big thing too, is like if I could play these drums and still just basically know all the same people, 
like this is perfect, you know. And, right, because uh, KHS has Mapex and yeah, Sonar. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, so it just worked out. But but it's that of like, you know, I've, I mean, I remember that first summer I had a kit out uh, when I was with Josh Thompson. I had my vintage kit out, which is super cool looking kit. You know, it's got the retro look and everything. And it was like every show, it was like every drummer. I don't care if it was the, if you were the opener or the headliner was. Everybody's like, dude, I haven't seen a Sonar kit in forever. I haven't seen these. I haven't seen one in person. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, again, I can't go back and track if I sold in here or not for them. But I do know it was like, man. And then, you know, for a lot of guys, you're like, what is that, $8,000? I'm like, no, nah, man, it's this particular set. is You know, I don't exactly know all the street prices of every drum in the world. But it's right on par with a top level of any other your Gretsch, GW, Yamaha, whatever. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, price wise, they're all about the same. So so yeah, I think there's just that. Like, you know, again, if it was in a different, you know, scenario where I've got a drum tech and I show up five minutes where I hit the snare drum for the first part of the show, like they might talk to my drum tech about it, you know, or whatever. But like I know, I know. Um there's, you know, so I think guys like us again can can be in a unique situation of kind of a ground level um marketing for them grassroots you know if you want to say that um there's certain expectations too i mean yeah. you know the the companies are asking different things from like you say players that are doing the things that we're doing mm -hmm. so what are, what is sonar expecting from you besides just the casual conversation on gigs man you Do know they ask anything from you not not necessarily. And I know a lot of companies have gone to some kind of stipulation of that. Of um, Well, funny thing is, like, I never signed anything with Joe. Hmm. I had an email from him, you know, saying, like, yeah, we'd love to, you know. I think his exact wording was, I mean, we're talking 14, almost years ago now. But it was like, uh, you've got a long way to go, and so does Mapex. Let's work together. Yeah. Let's do this together, you know, kind of thing. And, um and so that's kind of how we always worked it. Like I never, it, you know, everything he did, he did a lot of great things for me. Um, you know, asked me to be involved in a lot of stuff uh, with them that, you know, was, was kind of checklist things, you know, from advertising stuff to whatever. And um, so I never was like, I, I never knew what to expect. You know, I never, like if I was like, hey man, I need this. Like, I don't know if I was going to get that for free or had to pay for it. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. Most of I had to pay for it. I'm not going to try to blow my smoke that I got everything for free. But that, that that's, but a, pe pe yeah. people need to know that though. I mean, like having an endorsement doesn't mean you just get things. For oh free. yeah. No. And I think the problem is everybody, definitely everybody assumes that, but like, I mean, the first thing you have to know is no drum companies in the business are giving away free equipment. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, like, especially with Sonar, like, that's, I have never went into that expecting, you know, and that was a point someone kind of made to me was like, well, you're never going to get anything. And I'm like free from them. And I'm like, well, that's not why I'm going there. I mean, these are amazing drums. Mm -hmm. they, they just, for me, they feel right. I dig the sound. There's a huge array of sounds as possible from them, you know, because if you got not only the current production stuff, but I mean, they're the, one of the oldest drum companies, if not the oldest in the world. So, I mean, you've got stuff back to that's true. the sixties and I've got some vintage and weird stuff they made. And yeah. like, so that's cool to have that, that history with that. And they're making great stuff currently. You know, some companies yeah. had their heyday and they're kind of, I feel like Sonar's never made bad drums, you know? So, um, so with the expectation, like same thing, it was, you know, I kind of talked to some people when I decided to move over and I know I'm sure there is some signed thing. Again, I never, <laughs> never, <laughs> never signed anything. So maybe I'm complete breach of contract. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, they don't, um, there's not like uh and there may be on the, on a piece of paper that nothing I saw, but, um, but yeah, I know a lot of companies kind of request that, like, you know, do one social media post a month or something or a week. And, um, yeah, when I talk to people at Aquarian, mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, Chris out there, he's like, 
So yeah, we we'll need you to you know just do the social media posts and stuff like that. That's really yeah. good. I'm like, oh, of course, yeah. But yeah. but it was it was just important that he mentioned that you know, mm-hmm. as, especially to somebody like me that, that depends on your personality. Like if you're on social media all the time, or if you just like avoid it like the plague, yeah. Then look, the company's like, I don't care if you hate it. We kind of need you to do this, you know, support us back and forth. So aside from that, I mean, there's other – it was interesting talking to um, the, the guys over at Pearl again about some of the stuff uh, with their endorsements and how that's changed uh, with uh, YouTube sensations oh, and, yeah. and things like that and and how that can be a hit or miss kind of thing and, and, and companies finding – the changes and trends that are attracting uh, new people to their product and what worked in 2007 may not work in 2019. So it's an interesting business model and it had, and I feel like it's changed a lot since like what you were saying, the sixties and seventies to now. And I think it's going to continue to evolve and change. Totally. I mean, and that's, I have a, I think most guys, especially guys here in town and guys who've been doing this for a while, probably have a love hate with that thing because, you know, I get from the company side, like, um, I can't remember who it was. I was talking to the guys at Sonar about, it's funny enough, it's a guy who uses other stuff on his videos, he's, but he's not an endorser and he didn't ask for one. He's like, Hey man, you know what? Like, I'll just use your stuff. If it feels right later, it feels right. Which kudos to him for not, right, right, like, yeah, right. give me something, you know, being right. that dude. But, um, the guy was like, yeah, you know, we put it, we make a video commercial kind of thing. We put it out and we get you know, we, we, there's a lot of work that goes into that, a lot of expense. And we get, you know, I don't know, 80,000 views. This dude gets 100,000 views a week just for yeah. being like, hey, man, here's like my Tuesday snare drum lick, you know? Yeah. like So they're like, it's a no-brainer. And I totally get that. And the first I'd heard actually was with Joe. Um, I did some photos. I didn't know what they're going to be used for. You know, Judge typical Joe, like these cryptic phone calls, which you might <laughs> not get one for two years. And you get one like, what are you doing? I'm at home. Let's come out of here. Like, you know, or like, hey, uh, next week you come by and take some pictures. And you're like, is this a picture of like my hand? Like, you know, to be like, you know, you know, or is this like a picture of me? And so you just show up and Joe's like, all right, yeah, stand up straight. And here's a photographer and take a picture. That picture for me ended up being like a 10 foot poster at the Winter Nam show, which was awesome. Wow. But that was the first I'd heard of um, Anika or Anika Nilis. I'm sure I'm, yeah, mis- yeah, I'm yeah, mispronouncing yeah. her first and last name. Um, she was with Apex at the time. And Joe said, yeah, I'm going to be upstage. And he showed me, you know, we were both for some series of drums and she was holding a pedal or something. And I was like, oh, I think I've seen that girl. And Joe was like, yeah. He's like, I don't know if she's ever even played with a band, but she's got, he rattled off like some social media stat. I mean, it's YouTube. I don't think it was necessarily Instagram was like kicking like it is now. Right. And he's like, so how do we. Anika Niles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anika Niles. Yeah. And uh, he's like, how do we say no to that? You know, and so that was the first time I was like, oh, like this is in consideration of them. And I mean, I, I would say there I think there's some companies who maybe go overboard in it. And it's like that seems to be all the people they want right. to, quote unquote, have brought on their roster. Um, yeah. And um, and yeah, so I, I don't fault people for it. Uh, I get, Again, I get it from the company's perspective. I think of the like, companies know that, that they're going to latch on to that, but they know that it may be a passing. Yeah, thing. well, it, and also, I mean, they can. I mean, the it, it really dumbs down the bar of expectation a little bit. And that's kind of like mm. one thing, um, you know, uh, 
I, I saw there's a, a company, I think I may even posted, who put an ad, like, apply for an endorsement. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and probably, probably Kevin Murphy posted it. And well, I, I posted it. I saw oh, it. I, did, I was like, this is gross. But the, the thing is... It, <laughs> it, it was you. It, yeah. It he chimed it, in. Must <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody, like, it's like, this is, is not how it works. You know, it's kind of, it reminded me so much of, like, they probably still exist, but I remember hearing about these people back when I first moved to Nashville where... You would come to town, you would give some dude who like was like the B engineer on like a C level record, but mm-hmm. like you would know as an okay, you worked with, you know, on Joe Diffie's second record, like to the dude who doesn't know anything about this business, they're like, Oh my god. And that guy like, Yeah, man, give me like fifty grand as like a startup package, you know? Yeah. And yeah. They would take you to the studio. They would do what they say. They'd take you to the studio, they would do a showcase with you back when that was a thing. Yeah. But we all know like if you don't got the goods, like you can't just buy your way into the business, you know, I mean, unless you've got millions of dollars to grab people's attention, yeah, just doing that stuff. So I feel like it kind of done, like lowers the bar of expectation and kind of for the legitimate people, it muddies the waters a little bit. And that's what I think a little bit with like these people who, you know, um, as long as you just will post about them, they give you uh, a deal. And I mean, you know, the companies I work with uh, for that kind of stuff, I mean, it's all varying support and discounts and this and that. You know, I do uh, – haven't done much recently, but in the past few years, you know, I do two or three clinic educational events a year. I was going to ask you, like, what do you do in your clinics? What do you what do you cover? What are you expecting to get across when you do your clinics? You know, it's, it's changed a little bit. Early on, it was like – because most of it comes through – you know, I've been involved in the marching world forever as well. Yeah. And so I would maybe go do a marching thing at a school or be help teach a drum camp. I knew the band director or percussion director. And I'd be passing through town or something like that. And they'd invite me in. And, I mean, a lot of times it would just be nuts and bolts of drum set. You know, right. here's somebody different coming in. And that's kind of crazy, too, is like just kids in that world don't play drum set. You know, right. um, it used to be like when I was that age, it was like, yeah, marching drums, like drum set was like the thing. And so it's amazing how many kids don't. But I explained to them, like, you know, your, your likelihood of you continuing to play marimba or tenors or bass, you know, marching bass drum <laughs> past college or a drum corps, like, the, uh, you know, unless you're going to join the military and join one of those bands, like it's not going to happen. But like, if you play drum set, you know, you could play with, there's some guy right now with a bass drum in his basement. Yeah. Dude. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just like, he's like, I'll show that guy, you know, like, (laughs) but it's like, you, you know, you're going to maybe play with some friends or maybe he's gonna have a drum set set up your basement. You just rock out on, or you're going to play in your church or whatever. There's more outlets as a drum set player than that. So I kind of put it across as that. And then, I've done a few different, um, you know, ones. Um, the one I did probably most geared towards, like, people who should be, quote, unquote, in the know of drumming was I did do um, a clinic at Musicians Institute um, yeah. out in California. And I kind of was like, I didn't really know what angle to go. And um, it was good and bad because that, like any school, I mean, they've got everything from people who maybe only playing for a couple of years to people who – like I need to go take a clinic with, you know, like the next, you know, mm-hmm. dude is there, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I kind of was like, you know what? Like I, I think so many times people do clinics and they speak outside of their own experience. And, um, yeah. and I'm not like a chops guy. So I'm, and plus dude, I'm going to MI, like they're going to have like, you know, Dave Weckl the next week, man. So like, who am I ever going to impress him with my, like, here's my, you know, my facility is not going to be what's going to make them stand up and go, oh, and pay attention to what, what I'm doing. So I thought, man, I'm going to speak to what my experiences have been. Kind of what we were talking about earlier of like 
here's how I have made a living doing this yeah. without being Dave Weckl or yeah. without being Vinny or whoever, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right. like on that, I don't necessarily mean of like chops, but like just always that gig to gig to gig kind of thing that you, that those marquees of like literally the marquees of like the Super Bowl or, or whatever, you know, yeah, legend. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of spoke to that and then I kind of got into a little bit of, you know, it was, it was like two hours. And so I want to get a little bit into country drumming, mm-hmm. not again, not going there to be the uh, historian of country drumming. Cause I'm not, but kind of things are takeaways for me and things to just think about. And so, you know, I, I wrote out a thing and, um, you know, I was like, all right, I've got two hours. And don't get me wrong. I was probably the most nervous about that one. Cause you have no idea who's going to show up, you know, student wise. And it wasn't, I mean, you know, yeah. I know how the, cl- the clinics are there. They're in the middle of the day. You're in between classes. So, you I mean, you, you've got a rotating group of people. Cause you know, some kids are like, Oh, I got a 45 minute break. I'll go check out what this dude's doing. And then, um, they're coming and going. And when they're yeah. leaving, you're like, did he just walk out on me? Yeah. You, you know, so I was just like, you know what, man, like I've, I, and, and the educational world of like, I've dealt with kids who didn't want to hear me talk. So I can, I can just muscle through it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so not that I really had that, but, um, and now you're a father. So get used exactly. To it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> very prepared for it. But, um, but yeah, it was like, you know, just kind of sharing, you know, my experiences and, you know, that was because when I was there and cause I went to school there for a little bit, um, you know, seeing some of those clinicians who kind of spoke more real stuff. You know, like Gary Novak was a great one, mm-hmm. you know, um, he came in and just got down to the nuts and bolts of it, you know, of like yeah. it, 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 people, it, people take that as negative, but there needs to be a certain amount of reality. I, I, I agree. I, I, you know, when I, we used to go to clinics, it was well, in Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up, uh, our drum shop, Columbus Pro Percussion, would bring in local players. And my first clinics were local guys that, you know, at the time, at 13, 14 years old, I'm going, man, these guys are amazing. Like, who mm-hmm. are these people? Because local celebrities were just as big as, as anyone else. Now I look back, I see them as almost my peers, um, and I'm like, that was really great. That was really important stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've seen Kenny Arnoff. I've seen Dave Weckl, Steve Smith, uh, Steve Ferroni. Like, I've seen these wow. clinics. Um, but a lot of times it is people in the trenches and doing the work that is so relative. You know, it's because I t- I've talked to different drummers that do clinics. Then they talk about, you know, the entertainment factor. And you go in and you wow them. You get their attention. And then you break it down. You know, and yeah. I get that. And I think if I was going to go see Todd Sugarman at a clinic and he didn't play hardly anything flashy, I'd go, hmm, well, that was useful information. But, man, I wish he would have been Todd Sugarman <laughs> just for at least five minutes. Yeah. No, I, I book it in mine. Um, I had uh, see, uh, Kyle Wilkerson. I was like, we were talking about, he's you know, does a little bit of composing stuff digitally. And I was like, man, like maybe like a track yeah. at like about 88 BPM. One, I was actually just like wanting to screw around with it because he was talking about building practice tracks. And so I ended up kind of being, I'm like, yeah, this is fun. So I, nothing else I did, it just to like made myself feel comfortable behind the drum set uh, I was playing. And then I ended the clinic with, um, uh, years ago, a guy I played with, uh, we did a country version of Ace of Spades, you know, train beat, like in the 140s, somewhere BPM. But during the guitar solo, I do double bass. So I was like, all right. So there's a little bit of like drummy yeah. stuff. And, and, um, so yeah, you you have to do that. I mean, you know, Interesting. it's funny enough with this particular uh, clinic, 
I'm not sure if they turned them down for my exact day, but the uh, the new department head at MI who seems to really be great about because he's still a working dude out in LA. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Jeans his name. He seems to be really wanting to bring in that level. I mean, he's like, give the kids a great exposure of like the the, the super technical, you know, Marco Manny's going to come in there and like play a million things and you're just going to be inspired that a human could do this. Right. But like, again, you know, he can't really relate to you because you're never going to be him. You know, right, he, right, he's, right. you know, he's, yeah. um, and so he does a good, he's like, yeah, I want to bring in more working level guys. Cause in the day, I mean, like I said, the percentage of the people who come on that school um, who do really want to try to do this. This mm-hmm. is the level they're going to be at, you know, and um, yeah. which is fine. I mean, you know, it's not a good or bad of that. But um, but he told me he um, he turned down Vinny. And I was like, oh, I'm like thinking, dude, if um, I mean, talk about pressure. And he, what it was was some guy at the school knows him. And he was like, man, he said he wants to come into a clinic. And they're like, you know, slamming the brakes, clear yeah. the books. Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm ready to email you. Like, hey, Zach, can we move it? And he's like, what's he thinking about doing? He's like, dude, no, he just wants to come in and talk to the kids, man. And just talk to them all this bullshit about how everybody's taking everything you've ever done and not, you know, compensating you for it. And Stuart was like, no. Like, you know, he's like, that's all we need is like him coming in here to sit on a couch and like a microphone and just ripping on like why yeah. he's not getting some percentage of every YouTube video out there of himself. Yeah. I don't know what that was the time. So it was like, it was like, yeah, that's not... That's not again. There are sometimes when the reality is just negative, you know. <laughs> it is. I think that's important to recognize some of that stuff from time to time. But there's so many good things to talk about. There's pitfalls, and there's like stories that need to be told so that uh, the next person can avoid that pitfall or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but man, there's enough negative energy already. When I was doing a little bit of Google searching and mm-hmm. kind of learning more about you online and looking at one of the one of the first things that came up was uh, you were tagged in a Working Drummer podcast episode one twenty with Casey Todd. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, that's interesting. I think I listened to that. Maybe I should go back and make sure. You listen to that. <laughs> I was like, oh, bad about that. Um, but so the Vandells, there's a lineage of drummers, mm-hmm. like we said, David Parks and Casey Todd and. Those guys. And so as far as networking, you say you got the gig through David. David Parks recommended you. They had, uh, David left and I had done um, actually my senior year of high school. So they had like, uh, I'm not sure they still do it. Um, back back then, they had this like, they almost had like a separate package people could buy. So the the, the setup of the whole band was three front singers. Um, Stacy Todd is the, the kind of own, him and another guy own the band. That's uh, Casey's father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the kind of touring band would have been guitar, bass, keys, drums, and uh, a single horn player, saxophone, and a little bit of flute. Yeah. When they would do this like legacy or history, I can't remember what it was. It was like another thing people could buy. They would sometimes double up on keys players, add like a fuller horn section and a percussionist. Oh, wow. So uh, they were doing one of these shows at a, uh, executive in in Paducah, Kentucky. And David Parks called me. He was like, Hey man, we need a percussionist. I guess Casey couldn't do it. I was like, I was on spring break. I'm like, sure. So that was like, you know, went down and did it. And so I just, you know, knew the guys and I would come around. They would, Owensboro had an executive in as well, mm-hmm. um, my hometown. And so they would come through probably two, three times a year. And so I just kind of not only knew all the guys, but I just would had been around. Then. Right, so right. when he left and, he, he just said, yeah, you know, here's uh, 
here's Zach's number. And, you know, um, I don't really know if they looked at anybody else. Or... Let me ask you, though, when you were younger and you knew the band and, and you'd did you see them live when you were young? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, did you were you thinking, you know, I think I'm, this is kind of what I want to do. This is where my life is taking me. I should kind of when I, when a live band come, when a working band is coming through town, I should go see them. I yeah. See. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely it. I mean, it was like, especially for Owensboro, somebody came, you know, but I mean, I, Owensboro is only two hours from here, from Nashville. Yeah. I just go out here a lot and see bands, uh, mainly bigger stuff, you know, back at old Starwood Amphitheater and all that, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like if somebody came to the executive end, like first day of my senior high school, I like never called into those radio shows. You know, it's like, it's like literally turn on my car. It's like, be the third caller. I was called. No idea. And like, you just won tickets for Edgar Winter tonight or Friday night or something. I'm like, yeah. sweet. So Edgar Winter played there, you know? Oh, and cool. 90 minute show. They did a 30 minute version of uh, Frankenstein. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> Look at their set list. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Five songs. On yeah. There. And he took a break. So, but yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I, you definitely, I think for me and a couple other musician guys, there was this sense of like, it's here. And what's funny is of those guys, another, he's pretty much, you know, my best friend growing up. We're still super close. Um, John Zatella. He's a guitar player here in town. I was wearing one of his shirts, okay. Wombler pedal. Yeah, 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 Wombler pedal. Shirts yeah, yesterday. Yeah, and uh, so we, we grew up just playing music together. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome, Yeah, man. and uh, then there was another guy um, who was kind of, we, you know, had a band with or whatever, but, you know, he runs his own studio in Orlando. So it was just interesting. It was like kind of like, it seems like in a town, like the guys who want to do it and are serious about it kind of find each other. I think maybe. that's what I'm trying to pull out of this is that, I think that if 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 you're listening to this and you're young, you know, but and there's opportunities to see music, even if you don't know the band or maybe it's a genre, a style that's maybe not your maybe you're listening to Tool and then all of a sudden you hear that the Vandells are coming through town. You know what? Yeah. Go out, go out and see what working musicians are doing. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I would say it's almost a gripe and I don't say this arrogantly like how why are you not talking to me like there's some, something weird and I don't know if it's because of like the whole you know, people become maybe in, more introverted with phones or whatnot. But like, it surprises me how many sometimes like super young players that open for us on the road will mm-hmm. not come talk to us. And, and I don't know if yeah. they're like, they think we're going to be jerks or if like they're kind of, but like, man, anytime, like if, you know, I mean, the whole reason I met David was like, someone told me he made his living playing drums. I'm like, yeah. well, I, I, don't, I don't even know if you can, oh, whatever, that's what I want to do. So I like searched him out, you know, and right. got his number and it was like, right. um, and so that's, it, it surprises me sometimes like, it's like, man, like, you know, I assume you're opening for us or whatever your regional dude you're playing with, you guys want to do this? Like maybe ask the guys who are doing it, you know, like some questions. And, right, right. Um, and so, so yeah, it kind of surprised me now how many people don't do that. And I'm sure that's also then shown like maybe people don't go out sometimes and support when they see like a touring band come through, you know? I, I think it's safe to say that the people that you run into that don't want to talk to you or aren't interested in sharing their story is um, – doesn't happen very often yeah i have heard so many stories on the podcast and and others where somebody said man i don't know if if i can talk to this person but dude gary husband is up there i just want to go say hello and you know hopefully doesn't and like then they get into this long conversation that lasts forever and then they become friends and you know whatever so it's really I, i i think people need to to realize that i think for the most part people like to talk about that stuff no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's especially for as a drummer. Like, 
and you see another drummer, you know, nothing else, you're going to start talking drums because you're, you're probably on the road with a bunch of people who have no idea about drums. Or I know you're going to get to let know? it out. Yeah. You're like, oh man, <laughs> hey, like you got this new symbol and it's got like, you know, or right. something. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, and I think it's, you know, or actually I've had a few that surprised me. They will go follow everything and like everything. Mm-hmm. On my Instagram, like the moment after the show's done, yeah. and like I'm like, dude, I was standing five feet from you all day, you know, like walk over and say, hey, you know, like yeah, that, that <laughs> um, is really that. It. But it's and again, it's it's not every single time, but it seems to be a little bit different. And I was always, yeah, that same thing, man. I wanted to, you know, if somebody was doing something I wanted to do, like, can I can I ask you about it? You know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How do right. I do that? You know, yeah, yeah. Hey, tell me about your experience at, at PIT, what, what was that like? And who were some of your teachers that were out there? Um, yeah, so I went out there, um, it was, uh, four Oh five. Um, and, um, I, I had, it was a really interesting experience. Like I would say probably from my class, like I was not like, I don't, you know, I won't say it wasn't like the top of it, but I mean, when I was there, it was a really, it wasn't quite as, of an institution as it is now mm-hmm. like i think a few years ago because they do get some funding and whatnot they had to kind of like make a better curriculum and structure of their teachers when i was there was, which was kind of cool because um when i was there it was you know as long as people had like a resume they deemed worthy they would put them in so like the best part about it was um from a style standpoint like my jazz drums class was with this dude chuck flores and some people mm-hmm. may have heard i mean yeah but he's legit like he's not a guy who just learned a lot about jazz. Like he had these little like toothpick drumsticks he probably had forever because he doesn't play hard enough to ever break drumsticks. <laughs> and you know, like that's, but that's the guy you want to learn jazz from, not the dude who's like studied it. I mean, that's like all he played, you know, if you, if yeah. you got him on a rock gig, you'd be like, Ugh, you yeah, know, right, um, right. and his stories and he was crazy. He always got in trouble. Like every time you tell us a funny story, um, usually they were probably not PC at all. <laughs> Like he would like the next day, like the next time we had class, be like, well, I can't tell that story again. You know, last year I told this story and he would tell the story he told last year, like 70, you know? So it was like that of like, man, here's a character. Here's like, not just some guy who's just like, all right, guys, open your jazz drums, one one book to page three and let's play through this pattern. So that was really cool. Um, the rock drums class was a teacher named Jeff Bowders, um, who actually spent some time in Nashville and then moved back okay. to LA. He was a, he was a good person besides just, you know, rock drums, you know, whatever the curriculum was, he was a great guy of just very honest teacher. You know, there were some teachers out there who they weren't honest, you know, they were just trying to toe the company line of the school. You know, when I went there, I had the impression that I would go there. I was going to get a gig. Like you leave am I, and you're now a working thing. Yeah. One, no school can guarantee that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, so Jeff was, I remember I freaked out about, uh, one of the teachers was like, yeah, if you're bearing your bass drum beater, that's just, you're all, you know, that's all kinds of wrong. And I mean, I was like, I remember going to like my karate classes and talking to karate people about it. I was so stressed, like, I'm burying my beater. Like, well, no, I can smell time. So I'm talking to Jeff one day and I was distraught. Like, <laughs> and he was like, dude, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. does it sound good? He's like, there, there are arguments for and against it. But he's like, Steve right. Smith plays with a closed bass drum and buries a beater. So you can't make that argument that that, I mean, you know, and so things like that, he kind of had a way to like, I, t- I took, and, and the guy who was running the department at the time, he made a comment to us when we f- were all like the freshmen or whatever, new, not freshmen, but new uh, students, that if you don't know the kind of drummer you want to be, this school can't hurt you. And it definitely did to me because I didn't, I mean, it was like, hmm. I didn't, you know, 
I just liked drumming. I liked all kinds of drummers. And yeah. I mean, I knew my weaknesses. Yeah. So I'm chasing that. So a great example. I remember we had to fill out a sheet for our private lessons teacher. And he's like, what do you want to improve on? I said, my jazz and Latin ability. Cause I'm just like, that's what I'm supposed to say. Right. Like, Cause I, I suck at that stuff. Yeah. And he like looks at it and he's like, how many jazz gigs you done? I'm like, well, I'm a high school jazz, but how many Latin gigs you done? Do you speak Spanish? He's like, we'll go over it. But yeah, like, for sure. what's the, but are you going to do that? You know? And then right. the guy, uh, Chuck Silverman, who taught the, right. uh, you know, the legend, stuff. you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, both him and, and the other Chuck are now deceased, but I never studied with him, but I would go to some of his um, open counselings where they just basically hang out in a room. And he was such a, you know, wise guy of experience. And he was like, look, man, if you want to get the Cuban drumming, just dump everything that, you know, on your MP3 player at the time and make it all Cuban stuff. That's how you're going to get good at it. Right. Yeah, you can learn some patterns. Right. But like you, and so I had a few of those kind of guys who kind of pointed me in the right direction. Um, the technique teacher who's somebody I really gravitated towards was a guy named Rob Carson. Hmm. Um, he's a legend in the rudimental world, but even then it kind of gotten out of it. Um, he was you know huge in the seventies and eighties and people YouTube and there's some videos of him. He's super young, just playing some crazy stuff. And wow. uh, he kind of, cause I'd become up so much in that world that was so much yes and no right and wrong. And Rob's like, I don't know, man, does it, does it sound good? Do your hands hurt? Like if, if you can check all those boxes, like right. whatever technique works for you. And right. then that is someone who had been, so he, he was very much someone who I've just spent a lot of time talking to. We ended up kind of connecting with him outside of school as well. I go to his house and mm-hmm. we drum and talk and uh, we still stay in touch. And he, uh, he actually introduced me to Virgil Donati, who I took a lesson with. And that cool. was, you know, kind of my end of that, like, I'm never gonna be this dude, you know, and I, and I don't want it like he, yeah. it's, which is fine. But like, yeah. but yeah, man, it was, I was out there for less than a year, but it was like, just, I, I, I definitely fell into that, like chasing too many things, trying to be, but I mean, I was 19, 20 years old, so I didn't know. But it sounded like an important, like rite of passage that was I, necessary yeah. for you to go through again, check off some boxes while like, okay, n- narrow your focus on doing what it is that is your passion and get good at that. I, I had a yeah. similar experience with Ke- at a Kenny Aronoff clinic and it basically he brought to home the point that he was telling us, I do like two or three things really good and I've made a living out of that. And when he said that, and I've even told him that once when I met him, I said, like, dude, that changed my world when you said yeah. that because I, I was in Columbus trying to juggle a thousand things and play different styles of music, but was never really solid at any of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Latin music. I love jazz. I love all that stuff. And those things are important to explore and are important to do, I think, as you're growing up and learning. And maybe you'll discover a style of music and dive into it and like yeah. be the next great Cuban drummer to come out of Tennessee, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. as much as you can. But and, and it all adds to what we need to do, whatever style you're doing. Yeah. You no, know? I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, um, one thing I went on actually, the MI thing, I was talking about the train beat. Now we all know in modern country music, you don't play a lot of train beats, no. you know, like, yeah. um, and uh, I love I love train beats, but like, funny enough, I, a guy I played with uh, named Sean McConnell is big in the Americana world. Mm-hmm. Like, we did a ton of train beats, but Americana is not you know, little brush kind of backbeat things. So it's not the train beat like we think of necessarily in quote unquote country, but like 
if you're going to be in that world, like, let's go, you know, go down your Ryan Adams, Jason Isbell, Sean McConnell, whoever, and like, you can find it. Well, that's techn- that's a train beat, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, right. so they're I'm playing an eighth note, sixty yeah. note thing, a lot of times the brushes, yeah, and and kind of understanding that. So it's so again that that touch or whatever you might have worked on when you're trying to do your jazz stuff, your Latin exactly, stuff, exactly. that is going to totally come into yeah. play, not necessarily in the context of those styles necessarily, yeah. but like it's, it just adds to what you do. Well, think about like the, the, the times when you're studying jazz and it taps into the, the New Orleans traditions. Yeah. And uh, I was listening to some Bonnie Raitt yesterday and there's like almost like a second line bluesy shuffle thing going on. And, there's just like so many different styles happening in yeah. this drum groove of this one song. And it just, it just made me so happy, you know, just to like yeah. that, that encompasses so much there, you know, yeah. that I think is important. And if anything else, it helps you create an identity in your playing when you touch all these different styles and your, um, what do you call it? That that learning period of your life. So when you start to create more of an identity in your playing and a personality that that is reflective of who you are as a person, then people will hire you for to do what you do. Yeah, and they know if they need that thing, they have to call you. Yeah, they can't. I mean, you can be a, try and be a chameleon and all those things, and sometimes that works. But it's but it is really interesting when when people say. I'm sure you've done this too, where somebody said, "Hey, uh, I'm working on this record. I want you to come in and play on these. I've got these two songs which you would be perfect for." Yeah. And you come in and like, there's like two or three other drummers on the on the yeah, record, yeah. but yeah. they brought you in to do your thing. Like, yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, honestly, I really like hearing um, drummers who don't necessarily play a certain style all the time, like go after that style. Um, mm. Actually, I saw that when I was in L.A. Uh, Danny Carey, uh, it was his side project called Valto. And uh, I think they ended up having like, some originals and, you know, they just do club dates around uh, LA. But I saw him made their second gig. And dude, his set list was like 70s rock. Like they had their fusion quote, you know, they had Stratus, Billy Cobham, only not list, but they had Saturday Night Special by Skinner, you wow. know? And so I was like, I mean, I didn't realize at the time. And if you've never been to Big Potato, it's a small place. I'm sitting right next to him, basically, you That's know? That's cool. Um, and then, like, they played LaGrange with Easy Top. And, like, you know, Danny, I mean, who thinks Danny Carey for shuffles? But he did hit the Danny Carey shuffle, his thing. And it's like, and I just heard a, a podcast with him talking about their new record. And he was talking about it. He goes to Baked Potato now and does, like, almost a straight-ahead jazz gig. And he's like, I don't know any of it. And the guy's like, that's why I would get you, man, you know. And uh, I had a similar situation years ago on Broadway where, yeah. you know, I, I dig the older country stuff. I'm not the encyclopedia of it. Yeah. And as we all know, um, for Broadway particularly, there's kind of the Broadway versions yeah, exactly. of some of the stuff. There's the right way, the wrong way, and the Broadway. Uh, John, who we were talking about earlier, a guitar player, like he would call me and he would know I wouldn't know half this stuff. But he would tell me he's really good. Like, you know, a lot of times guys are like, yeah, it's this feel and I'm totally wrong. Like he could like instantly just give me like, well, here's what the drum pattern is. Like give me this kick and hi-hat, you know, and then like bring the snare in here. But he's like, yeah, I like it because you don't do all the wrong stuff. Like everybody just kind of learned it maybe the wrong way. Yeah. And because you're not approaching it that way right. is a, a fresher or even closer to the original. Cause you know, there's actually a lot of older country stuff. You listen back, man, like uh, the one that always sticks out in my head is a uh, lay me down, Conway Twitty. 
Mm. Listen to the freaking hi-hat in there, man. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost like a rough four-stroke roll thing. Like I don't know who's on the track, but it's like yeah. no one would play that on Broadway. It is so busy. Wow. It feels great. But it's just like it's not at all what you would think. Like and um that's that's it's so fascinating you say that because it's like, yeah, I know the song, but I don't know that drum part. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm falling to that category. I'm guilty of not oh, knowing. Oh, that. totally, you know, and I've um you know, it's something that kind of hit me when I was with uh, Josh Thompson, where like after a while, sometimes because you know it is you know a lot of bands go through players every couple of years or even maybe a few yeah. players in a year. Right. Everybody's kind of learning board tape to board tape to board tape to board tape. And I got the gig with Josh, and I'm learning the board tape. And I actually had a really hard time learning a show because there was nothing for me to hang on to. Like, Interesting. And I didn't, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't go back and listen to the records initially because I was yeah. like, you know, you're just, you're cramming stuff. It's busy. I got, you know, yeah, yeah. and then like, nah, man, we just kind of do it this way. And so I went back and listened to the records and there were so many, not say signature parts, but so many, there were actually drum parts. And I yeah. think, you know, maybe somebody in the list of Josh Thompson drummers decided to go super minimalist with it, which is cool. But like, yeah. you know, some, uh, Johnny Stanton was playing bass on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, works a lot around town and we both kind of like, man, Let's go back and actually listen to the records, you know. Not say we're going to do it like the record, but like there's some stuff. Might be something to pull from. Yeah, you know, and that was really kind of helpful, you know, because I think sometimes, you know, if you get in a situation where there's not a ton of rehearsal, you know, and for the, you know, people aren't super aware, a lot of times in Nashville, when you get a new gig, there is no rehearsal. There's no like, all right, we're going to rebuild our band sound and we're going to take a week. And no, no, man, it's like, hey, audition or phone call and, um, Here's the first gig. Yes, we'll, so have, a, we'll have a long sound check. <laughs> you, right, right, and which, which never happens. Yeah, which is how all my gigs. I've never gotten a new gig and had rehearsals. One gig years ago. Everything's just been either an audition or you know, Jared. I got through a sub thing, and then I just got the gig after that. But it was like, here's a board tape. Here's that. So people kind of go with safe, and then I, and I'm I'm totally guilty of it myself. And then safe just becomes what you did right. instead of like not saying necessarily play more, but like you know. I'm not another person who thinks just because you play more, that doesn't involve groove. You know I mean? A, a mm-hmm. Groove is not relying on a lack of notes or just being just boom, boom, God, the whole time. Like, man, you can play. I mean, listen, I think for Carl does dude, super busy yet feels great, you know? Right, so, right, right. so yeah. So it's like, that was, you know, kind of a thing of, you know, moving into it of like, I said, listening to like those old parts of like, all right, I'm not somebody who knows all these Broadway standards, but mm-hmm, yet mm-hmm. they liked my, take on it which i guess ended up being maybe closer to what the originals were just because they could tell me like hey man here's the record it's like okay play it you know for two and a half minutes and be done with it you know it is really interesting the conversations over the years that we've had with people who have done auditions and they you know they say well start with the original part start with maybe the board tape or the original record and because that's what they're expecting Mm -hmm. uh and then uh, I've worked with a couple artists that want it exactly like the record, like yeah. down to the crash symbol, everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. You know, we've got friends who work with artists that like, they don't want anything like the record. They want it to be free and everything like that. So it's, it's always kind of just reading the room, if if you will, yeah. uh, until you, um, until they're comfortable with you and you're able to like bring your personality. But I, I think that at some point, again, I, it's talking to band leaders and singer songwriters and other artists and the people that 
are deciding whether or not to hire you or not. I mean, we can talk all day. We can talk drummers. Drummers can talk to each other all day long. And oftentimes, like with David Parks, we can get gigs through each other. (laughs) But it's the guitar players. It's it's like John Satella and, and some of these other people that they're the ones that call us. Yeah. So what are they expecting from us? I think, I mean, that's um, one thing I, from my side of it is like I was, I grew up just liking music and I wanted to play guitar originally. So <laughs> that it just, it was, because yeah. one, it was cheaper, you know I mean? You can, you can get a guitar for a hundred dollars. You can't get a drum set for a hundred dollars. And uh, Well, you can, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, so that didn't go so well. I mean, I just liked music. And so, you know, watching MTV, watching all this stuff. So where I feel that has benefited me now is, you know, I don't necessarily approach the drums from a drum perspective. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a friend of mine, uh, he was like floored when I told him um, that originally I learned songs by lyrics mm-hmm. because I couldn't count music early, you know, you know, I was young and this and that. And I liked the song. Like, I'm, I'm notorious, by the way, if, just because like people are like, oh, man, you said you love that song. Like, doesn't mean I know the drum part. I didn't listen to the drum part. I listened to the song, you know, like and yeah. I'm, I'm there many times and or if, if it does pop up, I'll just close your eyes. Don't even think about it. Maybe. And osmosis worked and a few times it has but like but with that i i feel like um it's put me a little bit in their shoes of like you know like when i play with somebody um and i like their music like i'm just grooving on like the songs happening i'm hearing the song and uh you know it's having to be the person facilitating the drum part um right right right. but um but yeah like you said man it's also reading people like um it's kind of like when there's a tempo discrepancy Hmm. your body language and your tone could be like Hey man, it's this, you know, just yell at them. Or you could say, um, well, here, here's what we've been doing it. Here's where the record was at. Do you want to, do you want to do that a little bit faster? We could do that or try it, you know, um, totally. Totally. instead of like just shutting down there, you know, cause we all know a lot of times what people will say to us in drum speak is not what they really mean. Yeah. And, you know, I've maybe a couple of times early on, maybe was guilty of correcting the person. And of course their initial thing is like, dude, just play the freaking part. Like I asked, you know, like, don't give me a, like a drum roll is not we all know that, but everybody else play that drum roll there. I mean a drum fill and right, exactly. come on, man. You know, like is it really worth you being right in that moment to maybe not get the gig or if you do have the gig, like have a little bit of a No, I think it's really important because because there's oftentimes a like it seems fast today and you're like using a click or some sort yeah. of BPM counter or something like that. And like Yeah, I've learned I've learned that as well, where you say, you know what? It's not any faster than we did it, than we've been doing it. Do you want to try a new tempo today to see, yeah. or are you feeling that? Because we can, we can, I mean, let's, let's have fun. Let's, let's change it. And kind of just cause it's like, it's have fun with it. I mean, think about yeah. what it was like when you were playing drums, when you first started, yeah. you know, there was no tempo, tempo discrepancy. There was none of that stuff. People were just having fun. And I think it's important to always kind of go back to that, especially when, if it's, and you'll have to remind yourself, too, uh, when you're doing artist gigs, when you're kind of the higher, quote-unquote, higher gun for mm. a lot of these types of gigs that we're talking about right now, is that it's not your name or face on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know? It's, yeah. So, and, and they're relying on you to take the, the lead role as drummers, as uh, – um, Cat, my friend Cassidy Feesby says on lead drums. Yeah, you know you're, you're the lead drummer. Yeah. in that situation, so they they want you to be in control of that chair, and 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 count the songs in and 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 play that leadership role, but still, you have to dodge 
in and out of being a leader and also a follower just as far as being a team player, I guess. Yeah, you no, know? that's you. That's exactly what it is. And I think, you know, um, the sooner you can figure that out, the sooner you're going to work just because, you yeah. know, if, if, you know, it's um, that's why you, you talk about, you know, necessarily in pop or uh, rock or country, you know, most of it's like set stuff. Whereas that's one thing that you talk about kind of cross information, yeah. you know, in jazz, if you're trading, you know, like you're mm-hmm. listening to what that person mm-hmm. maybe build off that, you know, there's nothing in uh, our current set that would be like, oh, hey, I mean, you're going to trade fours. But we have starts where we'll maybe jam out on something and uh, our lead player will start something. Like, I'm not just playing a backbeat and not aware. I mean, if he starts to kind of repeat some rhythm, like maybe I can catch that a little bit. And then like you see the dynamic. Like, so it's just, you know, this fine line of just being in the moment, have your ears on. You know, yes. um, because again, I've had, you know, moments with people on stage where we, it was rehearsed this way. That's the way we did it. We did it that way. But, and just one night, the the guy out front was feeling it and we did, we changed something. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. Like that's those moments of like when you and your buddies would sit around and you wrote a three minute song and 20 minutes later, you're still jamming on it. Like, you know, you thought you would just, you know, we just, man, we're like, we're like Led Zeppelin live, you know, but like. Those moments, like, that's just it. Is if, if everybody's just like, no, I mean, this is the part, you know, and yeah. um, you create those, and, what I think people call bandisms yeah. sometimes, as you do that thing that's in a song, and, and maybe it happened one night, and then you're like, dude, we should do that again, and then yeah. it becomes a thing. And, and then it's not that that becomes now the new norm that you have to do every night, but sometimes that inspires other times when that happens, and it really, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really cool. It's fun. Uh, funniest story on that, how I got locked into, when I got the gig with Sean, um, Americana thing. And I was like, all right, man, this is like a different thing than, the, you know, um, kind of standard Nashville country thing at the time. Yeah. It's been like around 2009, 2010. Very Americana kind of stuff. We were playing a lot in Texas. And he had a song uh, where he would kind of do like a all a free bird at the end, or just a double time. Mm-hmm. And we were playing a club that they had played quite a few times. It's my first time playing there. But they'd gone from like 100 people, 200 to like five people short of selling it out. So wow, super awesome. high energy show. Even though that wasn't, I wasn't part of that process, I, I got the energy like, oh, tonight's crazy. So we get to the end of this song and, you know, I had brought out a double pedal just because I was like, I use, I mean, I, you know, a lot of country stuff because I have that facility. People want me to do something with it. Yeah. And I was like, I'll just bring it out. Trash can endings, you know, something that makes me, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm filling out my time with these guys too. Like our first kind of run of shows. So we get to the end and he's like, faster. And we're already... At the double time, we're in this. We're in the neighborhood of like, we're cooking, you know, 160, yeah. 170. I'm like, well, I can't really double time this. So again, it's that moment. Where I get to. That's what he said. He goes double time, like double the course, double time, and and again, that moment you have to translate that right instantly. So I just went to just playing straight quarters and and just double bass underneath that. So what yeah. he wanted was more energy, more yeah. bombasticness. Yeah. And so we get done, but I'm just like, all right, I've made a call. You know, yeah, yeah. and hopefully it's the right call, you know, yeah, hopefully yeah. I got off stage and not, what the hell was that? You know, instead he was like, dude, that was amazing. That's in every night. And I'm like, how did I just get myself roped in and had to play double bass every night in an Americana gig? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, only I, when thing it sucked is like, again, 90 minute show. There's no double bass going on for 90 minutes. So I'm warming up and stretching. I sit and play nothing but that. And then like we get to that and actually I put it on a click that I would, I really personally had a click on that gig. Um, and we didn't really use it for much or not every song, but I would just have to check myself because if I start out too excited, like it's like running too fast, the wrong pace. Like I get, I get mm-hmm. tire myself out. And so, but yeah, it was just kind of funny. Like 
it worked. And I mean, and I played for Sean, you know, for years after that. And we ended up not, you know, we would change the set, not do that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's like, it was just the right moment, the right time. And I mean, if you put it on paper, like, hey, at the end of this song, we're going to put a double bass thing in there. Everybody'd be like, no, we're not. This episode is brought to you by drumsellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. When a guy puts out, a girl, whoever on YouTube or Instagram, puts out a video of demonstrating some you know, thing, whether it be, Oh, here's this crazy odd time polyrhythm over this displaced by that. Like, you know, it's just, could you do that? Could you play a groove Mm -hmm. and then do that? And I was actually going back to MI. Like, uh, I remember I actually, I usually, I was pretty studious because like, man, I'm here, spend money. Like I'm going to, and I totally forgot, um, the teacher for a rock drums class. Like you have to come up with a lick or a feel or a groove for the next class and teach it to everybody, write it out. Wow. So cool. we literally sit down and I'm like, yeah. And also everybody's like, I'm like, I just forgot to do it. Like, I don't know how it slipped. I mean, I would have like totally dove into that. Yeah, and so yeah. I was like, uh, 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 and I'm like, so I just, um, I took like, uh, I was like, well, I'm going to press everybody. So I was like, it's going to be an odd times. And so I just did like, um, which in the marching world is pretty common, like a seven, eight, like paradiddle ship, you know, paradiddle, 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 you know, it's just an old exercise done a million times. I'm like, well, I know these guys don't know that, so I'll do that. And um, to my credit of being a tenor drummer, uh, the teacher kind of, I don't know if he sensed that I was like bullshitting a little bit. Yeah. He's like, all right, we'll put on the drum set. I'm like, can we go on snare drums? I'm like, playing around the toms. And I'm like, that's not bad. He's like, I'll play four bars at a time and do that in the end. Yeah. Like, otherwise, why did you come up with it? What yeah. use is it? And so I was kind of able to do it, but it made me realize like, I have no, you know, other stuff that's just, you learn, I mean, if that's your thing, like your passion is just to push the plyometric boundaries of drumming, that's your passion. But like, again, if you can't, if it's something you can't execute, it's going to sound great and sound, you know, and be the right thing. Then like, yeah. like I said, sitting around just kind of, you know, we all could do that. We all could take some crazy pattern and just mm-hmm. break it down. And again, mm-hmm. get that one, one moment where it all lines up for a second. Yeah. Um, and then, but you know, play that in real life, like, Totally could happen, you know. I feel like a lot of that stuff that I feel is musical, but maybe a little technical. I've often stumbled upon it, mm-hmm. and sometimes I don't even know what it is that I played. Yeah. But when I spend, and I, I talked to Todd Sugarman about this, it's like I feel like I'm as guilty as anyone else, like working out a lick and then maybe even backing it up, playing three bars of time, and then f- working that out and seeing how it works. Yeah. And getting that far with it. And then maybe even within a song or something that I'm going to be doing live and then getting to that point and like, am I ready to do it? I don't, I don't know if I am. And then maybe bailing last minute or trying it or something. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. No, it's totally. So it's, 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 it's really interesting because I I feel like Todd's one of those guys that he throws in stuff that you're like, how did he fit that into that spot? But again, it's really, you've got to be careful, you know, like, okay, but. But that's what he does, you know, and it's not expected of you, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, the guy uh, who I, I deal with with um, for Remo Drumheads, uh, this guy's name is Bruce Jacoby. But um, besides working for Remo, he's been a drum tech forever. Like mm. he actually still does. Right, he does Tools Records, and he's played 
with like Steely Dan and Fleetwood Mac because he you know, people got sick and he's a tech. So yeah, he's awesome. But yeah. um, we were talking about the kind of pop drummer in L.A. Mm. when it changed to you have to have some facility of what people call gospel chops. Oh, because okay, yeah. a lot of the pop is pretty much like R&B hip hop based. Yeah. And so though the record might not even be a real drummer live, they kind of want that, they want that super busy part to kind of mimic what the you know, loop or track would be. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, it was interesting to watch these kind of staples of the LA scene interesting. who play the legendary fields, who just never got on board with that, you know, little, it'd be if, like, if all of a sudden everybody in country music had some crazy double bass thing, he's like, well, you got to get your double bass chops together, you know? Like, yeah. and so yeah. he was telling me that he's like, yeah, he goes, and he goes, I worked for a lot of those people. So all of a sudden you get a lot less calls to work for them. And, Wow. You get a lot less call, more calls to tech for this dude who's kind of got that going on. I want to ask about your karate. Yes. So um, I, I met you through just the Nashville community of mm-hmm. musicians and drummers and through the Cocksmiths guys yep. and stuff like that. <laughs> we missed you on that 100th episode. Yes. <laughs> um, Russ and I were absent, so it's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been a long time coming to have you on here. Um, I also knew that you taught karate Mm -hmm. and kind of as a general rule in our house as our boys were growing up is outside of school, you have to choose a, a one music, one sport. So one kid was doing fencing and the other kid's like, I want to do karate. And I'm like, you know, I think I know somebody that does it. And (laughs) it's like, it's, it's nice to be able to bring somebody to your business and like oh, totally. I, I know somebody who knows these people and it's like to help the community and yeah. whatever so you're a karate instructor yes and do you own the studio i do yes okay I'm an owner and a head instructor nice so yeah. what's your history with with karate and honestly it like totally parallels drumming um i was so, thinking so yeah i got um i got a snare drum when i like christmas when i was 10 yeah. And then that February I started karate. Um, hmm. And so it just kind of like, just kind of, that's just what I did, you know, yeah. um, pretty much up through middle school, all the same uh, early on high school music probably took a little more of a priority just because of literally time. Like I started getting involved in the marching band and, yeah. you know, um, there was about a two and a half year and a half, two year window where my parents were like, all right, man, even though I'm from a big town, but I mean, by the time you drive, you know, you're, going to this band practice. Do you and then have siblings? Having, I don't know. Okay. I do, but they're older. They, they were already moved out by this point. Okay. Um, and, um, and so they, uh, you know, and the parents, well, I think at that time we're both working full time. So it just, it just turned into like a logistical nightmare of like trying to get me from marching Drumming. practice to yeah. this, to mm-hmm. that. And, um, and so actually when I got my license, like I started back like really hard with karate cause I'm like, Oh, I can draw myself now. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of like been, I, I've never been able to answer the question of, you know, everybody always asks me which one can't answer it, you know, Interesting. cannot yeah. answer it. And it totally varies. And, you know, um, but you're a black belt at this point. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so like both decisions were, you know, when I went to, when I decided to go to MI, the, uh, at the time there was a Japanese sensei out there who I was told for, you know, there's a lot of famous karate instructors and, and the style of karate I do is called Shotokan karate. It's really popular worldwide. Um, and this guy I was told was the best. Okay. And I never met him. I just had you know, idolized him, you know, and so am I's there, his headquarters was in Los Angeles. So I'm like, well, here's an opportunity to go to a drum school and be in California. And, and I get to study. His name was uh, Hiritaka Nishiyama. 
um, to study with Nishama Sensei, like I am in, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, it was that of just doing, you know, uh, both things. And when I came, um, to Nashville, it, not to say it took a back seat, but it took, you know, it wasn't, I couldn't really train anywhere. I mean, you know, martial arts styles are very hard and, you know, most styles are very specific. So to go someplace else, you're doing something kind of totally different. Mm. And I just left an amazing instructor. So, I mean, no offense to anybody who was in Nashville at the time, there weren't that, that wasn't that opportunity. People weren't, it wasn't serious. You know, I was mm-hmm. training at the world headquarters. So there were people who had moved from other countries just to study with this guy. So the, the serious practitioners, you know, and yeah. to kind of come through with somebody who's overly, I don't say commercial because I mean, it's a business, but like just not really teaching the real stuff. So did a lot of self-training, met some people, mm-hmm. trained a little bit, some small groups, um, and, um, you know, always kept active in it. And, but the problem was, you know, our, my schedule being, I mean, never have any idea what it was going to be. I could not commit to a more serious karate kind of thing, where be running a school mm-hmm. or even a more, you know, more involved group. And, you know, I eventually got it around 09 where we started our group where we did twice a week. So I figured, okay, Wednesdays and Sundays, <laughs> usually home on Sunday morning, Thursday nights was when I, you know, Wednesday nights when I leave for bus call. So I, we, you know, that was for years how um, I was teaching and then traveling a lot. And, yeah. you know, cause I mean, that was the other thing too, early on, you know, being in this job, I had that flexibility to where, you know, there was a good instructor I knew up in um, Indiana up near Gary. Mm-hmm. So if I had a week off the road, I'm like, well, I got really nothing going on in Nashville. He was an older guy that his wife had an extra bedroom. I'd just go up there and stay with him all week and train. And come back to Nashville and go on the road. Wow. Or, you know, my uh, primary instructor now out in California, I go spend a week out there with him. And so in some ways, even though the music side of stuff kind of kind of a lot of conflicts with the karate side of stuff. Um, Scheduling? It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's actually allowed me to do a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do uh, if I had worked maybe a standard nine to five job and uh, stuff like that. So to balance out the touring and stuff. Sure. Yeah. The most extreme thing I did was um, I was actually on the road with Josh and um, our organization's chief instructor offered this internship. We uh, Japanese term would be kintushi instructor training. He had done the program in Japan, which is three years long. He condensed it down to a month, you know, Um, there's a lot that goes into that. You can, you can read his kind of autobiography of that coming out soon to, learn the, the hell you have to go through for that. But, um, so I was like, man, I just got to do this. Like, I don't really know this guy that well, but I mean, he is doing the crime at the highest level I've seen. And so I moved to his dojo in Manhattan for a month. I figured November would be slow. Of course, Josh ended up booking like eight gigs that month. I'm like, I'm like all right, well, I already, I already went into this month. No, I wouldn't make any money, but now I'm like, Oh, I'm not really missing out on some money, but like I just did it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's like, it, it's just there. And then, um, yeah, a couple of years ago I decided to actually go into business, um, as a school owner and, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it has been an education <laughs> being a, 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 you know, people I say as a musician, you know, you're a small business owner, which you are, and yeah. there, there's definitely parallels between, but the difference of being a true small business owner is I've got an X amount of money that if I don't make. I have to make up for, whereas, you know, uh, for the most part, if you're just you as a small business with no actual, you know, overhead of a property or whatever, then right. you can, you know, so it's, it, but I mean, the school's going great. Um, it's, you know, and, and I, I never, you know, I think in music, there's this like feeling of people almost afraid to do something else because it's like that everybody's so proud of, I just do music, you know, or something like that. And I mean, yeah, you know, we're talking about reality. I mean, yeah. I've always kind of 
I think there's not enough maybe discussion. I know you just did that uh, event, which I was sorry to miss about kind of with the uh, financial guy. Yeah. yeah. I, saw the, I saw it's on the podcast. I'll yeah, it is. To listen to that. Um, yeah, it's great. Because it, that's just it is like, you know, no offense to anybody. And, and I remember being on the road with guys and I'd be like, well, I'm going to take some time off the road or maybe I'm only going to be, you know, I want to become a session guy. So to do that, you have to just bake yourself available for sessions. Yeah. And I went back in my head about like, cool, but I would think like, and again, it's, it's fine. But I'm like, well, let's have the real discussion. What does your wife do? Because, you know, if I just took time off the road, yeah. I don't make any money, you know, back, back yeah. when I was you know single. So it's like, yeah. there's that kind of stuff. And so I, you know, it, for me, it's not necessarily a business move. Like, Oh, I want to have this karate school so I can have mm-hmm. income. But I mean, it is a business and I have to, you know, I do right. treat it as such, but it also falls in line with a passion that, like I said, to me is equal to what I feel for drumming and music, you know? My son took uh, classes from you for yeah. what, maybe nine months or something Some like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Kind of the, the, the tail end of his, his uh, ath- athletic uh, experiences before he got into music uh, more seriously. But it was really good for him to have that, that discipline. And it is a different kind of sport than we think of, like team sports, like yeah. playing basketball or, or something like that. And I think it fit his personality really well. Um, because you had to work together, you had to follow, everybody had to work together as a team to get in line the way you had things set up, and you had to be patient, wait for that person in front of you and behind you and help each other out and spar with each other. But also there was a res- individual responsibility. Yeah. And I feel like his experience with you led him to know what it's like to be a musician, because you have a responsibility with your instrument, yeah, but also be a team player at the same time. It oh, seemed like yeah. it worked really well. And so I see him in band situations and choir situations at school, at church, and things like that. It's like he's listening, he's participating. You yeah. know, it's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I guess you kind of never thought of that angle with regards to music, you know. It's made most people ask me about, you know, karate and drumming, and it's always kind of technical stuff. Or, and I always say, like, man, anything, I've, everybody always says, you got to write an article. I'm like, I really don't want to. <laughs> but like, cause it, it, it's, it'll be too drummy to be maybe interesting to karate people and it'll be too karate to be interesting to drummy people. So I guess if I can find other drummers who do karate though, but well, while <laughs> I've got you though, I, I mean, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, there's, there's things that I do, whether it's, and we've talked about this on the podcast, you know, like yoga and other types of, of exercise and things like that, that I, I feel a shift in my playing and my balance and stuff like that. Do you feel that? Like it's yeah. a physical thing. And you're you're throwing your limbs around and yeah no it's um, actually years ago I had a karate instructor I was hosting here for a class or two and uh, he came and saw me play a gig at the Wild Horse mm-hmm. afterwards he's like ah if you would just hit, do your punches like you hit the drums like you just relaxed and stuff like that I mean there's there's tons of physical parallels of posture mechanics I mean it's all good stuff for your body um, and uh, you know definitely that like you said I think you know yoga or anything like that that's kind of getting you back to a source in your body, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then drumming kind of ties a little bit more into, um, karate or, you know, martial art because it is percussive and that you're hitting stuff, you're hitting pads, you yeah. know, you're hitting people, not too hard or aggressively, but like, you know, you, um, there's kind of different experiences of that. And, um, and then there's, you know, sometimes when I, at the high school, uh, with the McGavitt kids, I'll talk to them about hitting the drum, you know, with the higher tension drums, there's just such a tendency to maybe play so much out of the drum, you know, not that they need to be hitting it too hard because it doesn't need to be hit hard. But mm-hmm. I'm like, you got to put your mass into that. So I'll basically just take palm of my hand and I'll just drop my weight, boom, around that drum. They feel it like that. I'm like, put that in the drum every time. 
I'm like, that's how you would hit somebody too. You know, I was like, I can't hit the kids. But um, <laughs> when you feel that, you know, I mean, that's, um, you know, very old school way of teaching, but I had a few instructors one time who were just like, man, you just got to feel a little bit. And when you feel the difference, somebody kind of hitting you and like bruising you, yeah. as opposed to like somebody hits you and you like, I always say it's, it feels like you get the flu for a couple of seconds. Like everything shuts down and hurts. It's like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Interesting. And it's a totally the same uh, with drums, you know, I mean, you're talking yeah. about moving this mass, you know, you, you being the mass, your arm, your wrist, whatever you you know, have your technique approach to it, but like putting that into the drum so everything resonates and has that full sound. So yeah. I think there's tons of parallels there. You know, I, I see both like, I'm starting to do a little bit of traveling for the karate stuff for like doing seminars and whatnot. And, you know, I have friends of mine who, who get, are having the same kind of thing happen. Um, and as I just watch them sometimes freak out or have a moment because for me, I'm like, what, you going to suitcase and go somewhere? Duh. Like, that's my day job, man. For them, like, well, yeah, we're going to go there and what I got to then? I'm like, dude, like, it's just, so I'm totally comfortable in that world of mm-hmm. just being go, go, go. And, yeah. um, and yeah, it's like, I still don't, you know, I think, you know, I can't, I don't, I don't know what the future holds for either thing, but it's like, mm. you know, um, I definitely, you know, there's that of like, and I don't know if you feel this too, of like, there's once as you get going in this, you want to also invest in things that you do have more control of. Um, and, um, even though, you know, they're not doing the podcast for financial reasons, you do, this is something that you, you do as well, or do you, this years and you're, you're, you know, I think, I think that you're, you're exactly right. Not, not to, not to take away from what you're saying, but that was a motivation because as a sideman working in a band that I just, I wanted something that was mine. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily a songwriter. And so, yeah, there was that desire to create something that I had a hand in that I had control of. Yeah. And, and, and whether that's creating a podcast, starting a business, creating a teaching practice, I think those are all ways that scratch that itch um, for, for those of us that are working musicians and oftentimes playing a supporting role as a hired gun, that you may need to find yourself creating an outlet for this is mine, this is my baby, this is my outlet for this for creative and control. But if you're able to make a business out of it at the same time, yeah. that's beautiful. It has some inherent challenges, like you say, yeah. that are different than a quote-unquote hobby. Yeah. No, it's, and that's what I'm currently balancing. And I have um, a friend who kind of does, he's a full-time crime instructor, has a large dojo and network of dojos actually, mm-hmm. but he basically has my schedule. He travels every weekend teaching seminars. Interesting. But his network is that of like, he maybe only teaches one or two classes. He has other instructors. And so, yeah. you know, um, I guess I, I would like to have that freedom because at the end of the day, I don't know, you know, the unknown, I mean, granted, there's a lot of unknowns in the karate business, um, yeah. but at the end of the day, I, you know, at least I know I'll be running the thing. I might get fired from it, um, but yeah. the unknown of the music side is what I want to be, I guess, maybe potentially more freer to do so that if, you know, if, uh, you know, I love the gig I'm on, Jerry and the guys are great, maybe it gets busier, maybe it gets slower. Yeah. It's it's going to go, it's going to go one of two ways. Or Jerry you know? says, I'm done. Yeah. For you some know, weird which, reason. Which I've, I've had happen. Yeah. You know, if you want a gig to end, call me. No, <laughs> I've had like two guys, like Sean McConnell, when we were super busy, he just decided to just stop touring. He wanted to be home and his wife were going to adopt a child and all this. And yeah. so it, I didn't get fired, but the gig ended. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, you know? And then um, when I was with Josh Thompson, same thing. I mean, when I got the gig with Josh, everybody said, 
he's gonna stop touring. The gig lasted for another three years. Um, and wow. so, but all of a sudden, like it's just like less and less. And then I was never basically his tour manager at the time called me and said, Hey, just want to give you a heads up. This is in like January or first year. Um, I would look for something else just because everything we sent to Josh, he's turned down. And, wow. but he's had like, I don't know how many number ones now as a writer, dude, like he's blowing up, you know? So, you know, I don't think it was ever his thing. So he's kind of go, all right. And each, I think each time that happens to you, like, I mean, the first time it happened actually was when I was with Rick Monroe and Rick had, had developed this idea for the Jaeger Meister country tour. Um, <laughs> And uh, they did that for a number of years. Sounds it was his, dangerous. Yeah, it was his idea. It was deadly. <laughs> I've actually played the factory in Germany. It's like, oh, this is where Satan lives, you know. Um, <laughs> but he was, at the time, a great idea. He was super smart about that. You know, but he wasn't the name guy to headline it. So he would be like a, they started out as like an acoustic MC. Yeah. And he was like, I've got to do this, guys. And, yeah. you know, some of the guys in the band were a little bit like, and I was like, man, I'm cool with it because I would hope he'd be cool with the, like if I got a gig with some bigger artist. I was like, hey Rick, I go do this. He wouldn't be like, screw you, man. And he was, and he and I have, and I've worked with him since. We have a great relationship. And but that gig just ended. Yeah. And I remember them being like, I mean, it was like I was like 23, 24, maybe. And I mean, that was what we were working enough to where that was my gig. Yeah. I mean, you're just like that fear of like I don't know what's. I remember. I think I rewatched like the Sopranos eight season just because I needed something every day to take my mind off of the fact that like, I don't know where my next paycheck's going to come from in a month, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, as you go through that, um, you kind of, it becomes, I think less of a shock. And right. then you, and then you also realize like, hopefully you start getting smarter about that. You know, I mean, I'm everybody's financial situation is different and I can't say that I was like putting savings back, but like I started kind of get to where, you know, okay, if that ended, which is always a potential for any gig because you're relying on someone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, right. And, and so that, to put all your trust in that, you know, if, if it's a gig that's paying enough to where you can put back savings, yeah, like an a substantial amount, awesome. Yeah. Um, if it's not, then like, you know, I think a lot of people say that you already have your game plan once you get that for, you know, your you're thinking about your next gig. Like, man, I've never had that. And I don't know. That just seems like a super, I, I don't know that I, I wouldn't like a recipe for failure. Yeah. yeah like you're, you're already kind of preparing, like, yeah, yep. you know, a person like the guys that jump gig to gig to gig to gig, just trying to go for the next bigger thing. Or like, you know, for me personally in my life, consistency is huge because then I can plan other things. If right. I've got a gig that, you know, might work a bunch, but I don't know two weeks out what our shows are going to look like then I can't plan anything else. And I've had that before and I had yeah. to like shut down every other part of my life mm-hmm. and just be available for that. And at this point in my life, I don't even know if it's a dollar amount that would buy that. <laughs> you know, I essentially juggle three jobs. I have obviously touring with Jared. Um, yeah. I have running the karate school and then I also am a percussion coordinator at McGavick high school here in town. That's right. And, you know, that's, it's, it's a big program where year round four jobs. Yeah. And then of course, but that's the thing is looking at that of going, all right, you know, and then I've, I actually, uh, I had a couple of groups, um, cause outside of that, um, I do a little bit of consulting for like show design for marching indoor drumline shows and whatnot. Oh, wow, cool. That's, you know, again, you look at what that requires of me, you know, that's not much of a hands-on job. It's me talking with their staff, going over show design, you know, more sitting back in front of my computer, this net, but you know, a couple, I'm like, oh, we'd love to get you in for a clinic. I'm starting to look. I'm like, well, there's that weekend. Like, I was like, man, I want, but I also want to have a weekend where it's just like, 
you know, because my girlfriend, Jana, she works full-time job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, during the week, I mean, when she gets done, I'm at the karate school and I'm like, man, like, I just want to have a weekend where it's just us. Like, that's that's more valuable to me than some of these other. Now, don't be wrong, because of our job, there's sometimes when I have to do those other things. Right. But if it's a choice yeah. where I'm like, all right, I might, you know, my bank account might not be this much more than it would be if I did that, but that's okay. That's important and, though, man. Yeah. And that's I definitely really did not have that perspective before. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a few years ago I started to kind of have that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a gradual thing. I can't remember the day it changed. Um, For some people it never changes. Yeah. And it's ebbed and flowed. I mean, I, my wife and I've been together almost 25 years mm-hmm. and, and there's been times when she's like, I'll have a day off and it will get filled up with something and we've had to like stop and go hold hold on like mm-hmm. there's you're not making t- and as my my kids now 14 and 17 I mean they're off doing their own thing everybody's busy yeah but she's like if we don't write it down in the calendar it's not it won't happen family time no. won't happen and I my parents are very much that way like my dad was a high school administrator mm-hmm. he took a job very seriously you know and he was a coach before that I mean when I was um, if he was a coach, I've been super young, but like definitely that middle class, like they're the first ones to go to college. So it's like, mm. you just work, you work, yeah, you yeah. work, you work, you work, you work. Cause there was, you know, for the, for their reference before that, it was like, if you don't like kind of like what we have in our world, you don't work, then there's, you're not making anything, you know. And there's a afford. certain amount of pride though, that goes along with it. I hate to, well, I don't hate to say this, but I feel like this is a, there's this kind of like old school pride, especially with a lot of men. They're like, this is how I care for my family. This is how I show my love. It's yeah. like, I work, I work, yeah, I work, no, I provide, yeah. but there's more to it than that. There is, you know, and um, like I mentioned earlier, I, I like to listen to Penn Jillette's, uh podcast and uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, he always makes a reference. He's like, you know, a lot of people get into some kind of level of celebrity to not work. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, I still sit around and just juggle, like in practice, like yeah, and I and so I and even in the karate world, there's that. There's like people who start karate schools or martial arts schools to like hire out everybody and just be the figurehead. And yeah, I you know there are parts of me that like I need to be able to do that for other logistics, maybe my family first and foremost, or the music stuff. But like I don't I don't get into that of like you know as. As a kid, I think I probably, if I had to like say what my dream gig was as a drummer before I kind of started thinking all this career, I'd be like, I kind of did always idolize those guys who had the mega successful like band, like, and then they could co do their little passion projects without that pressure. Uh-huh. Like, that, when that, I'm like, that's kind of the dream, right? You know, like, yeah. for the, for if, if you're that kind of person that, like, yeah. you know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, you can kind of go do something and, you know, yeah, man, if it, if it works out cool, if not, like I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a stadium tour next summer as part of right. Metallica or Tool or whoever, the massive band that would, you know. Has you, like a, it's what you want to do, not because it's what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, George, uh, George Lawrence told me a story about mm-hmm. um, Charlie Watts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he has Was a swing he? band. Yeah. And he'll come do gigs for free. Like. Because yeah. he just wants to play, but you cannot talk to him about the Rolling Stones. That's like in the thing. Like, yeah, that's the whole thing is he's like, he, you know, he just wants to take this out and do it. And, you know, again, I, I don't try to plan for the future because, I mean, you know, everything changes and this and that. But it's like, right. you know, from a musician standpoint, not just a drummer working for Jared Neiman or whoever, but like outside of that, you know, that would be probably instead of trying to then fill in like, Oh, I've got a weekend off. Like, let me see who needs a drummer for the weekend. 
Maybe I could mm-hmm. find something during the week that I could do on Tuesday night with some friends that would be mm-hmm. more of a different kind of musical outlet than what I do now. You know, um, you know, there, there's some people feel like they have to play all the time to feel uh, satisfied yeah. with music, and then yeah. like, I, I to me, I have to have some kind of balance because I do have other things in my life that are, yeah, you know, I struggle with that. Big. Honestly, I I feel like I I'm one of those players that has to play all the time to kind of feel connected to my instrument. Yeah, uh, I'm not one of those players. I, I they make me so mad that they haven't touched their drums in a couple of weeks and they sit down and sound great. Yeah, so I always feel like I have that pressure gnawing at me. Um, yeah. There's an interesting text thread with um, Luis Newman. Uh, talking about his desire to practice, yeah, and um, you know David Black is like, I don't practice, you yeah. know, and, <laughs> I, and and you know it's like the I both those guys when I hear them they sound great, you know, but yeah. I think everybody has their thing, but it's interesting. So I, I want to interject something that was an interesting part of the discussion with the financial thing that mm-hmm. if it inspires anybody to go back. Um, to that episode, which will be a, a, a couple episodes before this one, is that Michael Mercurio, our financial expert, who also is a drummer, but his gig is working for this financial firm. And he talks about having money and savings and just the importance of saving, 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 saving. So I'll leave it to the listener to go back and listen to this. But I think what's interesting about that is that a lot of times it's not having necessarily savings to fall back on or to invest, but it's, it's, it gives you a sense of freedom. And he brought up a point that I never considered. It's about taking advantage of opportunities. And if you have savings, if you have that money available, then you can jump on that opportunity before anyone else does. Yeah. So, if for some reason, so for example, in our scenario, if if a gig went away, you'd have the opportunity to reassess the situation, maybe live off savings to they've been shift gear, maybe like the the people that you work with, say I'm going to take some time off and concentrate on doing studio work. Well, if you have savings set aside to kind of like explore that option, or maybe go work with a teacher or do a sabbatical or something like that, yeah. that if you don't have savings, then you're always, you don't have that security, then you're always like, you're just working just to work. Yeah. You never have that opportunity to, to then create the type of work that you want to, no, you know? Man, that is so spot on. Like, that's kind of what I feel with the, um, you know, uh, even before the karate school, you know, not that I would be able to live solely on it, but like with the teaching stuff of like drum lines and whatnot. And I mean, I could have gotten busier if I wanted to create more work, but it was always that of like, okay, if a gig ended, you know, we all know there's a certain tier of gig that we could just call and it would pop up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that tier usually involves very little pay, very Mm -hmm. bad accommodation, you know, whether it be in town, out of town, whatever. And I think a lot of people just know that exists and they just know they can default back to that. And, yeah. but the thing is when you're stuck in that, like oh. it, uh, I mean, start to hate music. Yeah, hate man. Money. I mean, I, I, that's what that ruined sucks. me on. Like I went through about a, almost a year where I was doing a lot of Broadway. I was working with all the same people, mm-hmm. but then every now and again, just because you're down there a lot, all of a sudden some random person's like, Oh, Hey man, can you do this? You don't know anybody. Yeah. And I just did enough bad gigs down there yep. that I'm like, unless I know the person, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And, um, and so it, that's kind of what I feel now. Like 
if, you know, um, it's not that I wouldn't want to play, but it's like, I don't want to do the wrong situation and I don't want to feel forced to have to do the wrong yeah. situation. And it's know? different for everybody, but I yeah. think that it's important to know what it is that you want to do. It's, and it's about creating those opportunities for yourself, but it's also making yourself available to be flexible so that you don't have to do the gigs you don't want to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, kind of like, um, even with, uh, my situation with Jared, like, that all came about from a um, funny that the, the cocksmiths will get you a gig, <laughs> which everybody I think people think uh, that our talk is like like it very rarely comes up about gigs or whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know how it is. It's like you know everybody thinks like oh you're you're a natural plant man give me a gig like it's you know right. Like, but um, Keo texted out at like twelve thirty. Hey, anybody want to do a show with Jared Neiman? Yeah. I had the weekend off. Um, and I forget I had actually just poured a drink because I was like, you know, my girlfriend got a bed. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, man. And then he didn't say when. He said, you might want to get your Jeremy. I'm like, sure, man. He's like, cool. I'll send your info. And then the band leader calls me about t- 10 minutes later. And I'm like, this guy's like, works a lot hours, you know? And he's yeah. like, hey, uh, hey, Zach, you're good. I'm like, yeah. What? He's like, well, you, we got your flight tomorrow morning. Here's our tour manager. And it was that like, Wow. They had they had left town situation, um, and the uh, drummer couldn't get a bus call for a thing, and yeah, and they, but they had to leave. I mean, you know, it is like the bus has to get there at a certain time, right, and, right, right. And there were other bands in the bill, so I guess they figured the worst case they would just throw a ton of money at somebody who's a drummer there, and hopefully they could learn the show. Yeah. Um, and so when he said that, I was like poured out that drink and had to wake up my girlfriend and be like, hey. Babe, just let you know, like, you're going to take me to the airport. No one's dead, but, like, I've got to go to this gig tomorrow. And um, it's funny that, I mean, everything about that situation was a culmination of things that had, you know, uh, I knew knew how to prepare for that. I was not worried. I wasn't freaked out. I was, like, instead of freaking out or being like, oh, my God, I can learn the show, I just was like, hey, man, send me your thing. So if I went to sleep, I knew I had everything downloaded. So there wasn't going to be an an issue of getting the material. Good point. All right. Um, You know, I knew a few Jared Neiman songs. I was like, well, unless he goes into like jazz rock opera halfway through a set, like yeah. I'll be able to, you know. So got on the plane, just put my headphones in. I was like, all right, I, you know, I know my process for doing this situation. Yeah. And I just followed that, you know. And even when I got to, you know, the uh, the first thing was like the board tape was a little bit, I had a little hard time hearing some stuff. And okay. I mean, they, they, this, they didn't give me any information. So I'm hearing like bongos and I'm like, do I got to play bongos? They're percussionists. I didn't know that. I heard thinking like, is that a track? Is that me? Do I fire the tracks? Like, yeah, it was, here's your plane ticket. Here's the time you're going to be at the airport. Yeah. Go. So I went and I was like, okay, um, what I'll do is I'll write out just because I know I'm, I'm on a crunch here. I'll just go ahead and write out. Like I'll, I went and got all the record versions. So I wrote out the structure. Yeah. You know, so I'll go back in and plug in what they do on the board tape. You know, if anything's longer, I can adjust that in my notes, but I didn't write anything. I just wrote out the structure of the songs. Okay. And um, normally I wouldn't do that, but I just was like, Oh, for time. Um, yeah, I've just got to have how, this. How process. long was the show? Do you remember? It was a 60 minute set. Okay. And, um, and same thing. We were not the headliner. So we had, this is your sound check kind of time. It wasn't like, Hey, we're the headliner. We can screw around for three hours in the afternoon. Right. Right. It was like, and of course you get there and everybody's on your side. Cause yeah. they're like, you did it, you know? And, uh, 
in the past, I may have been, you know, everybody's wanting to, hey, you have any questions? And hey, you on this, you know, even before you can ask a question, I start talking about something, I'm, you know, and yeah. not to be disrespectful, you're thinking like, do I know that? Or like, I'm, so I just kind of told him, I said, honestly, guys, if I can, like, know I was in the back lounge, if I can have a couple hours in the back lounge, I'll be good, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. then anything else that I do need questions, you know, and there were a few things, but like the show went great, you know, yeah. and, um, yeah. and uh, it was like, cool. And then, we went our separate ways and actually Jake Gammon was on the gig. Yeah. I was texting with Jake. He didn't, he wasn't even aware of the, the situation until like four in the morning. Cause he was playing a gig. He had, a, he'd already committed to some stuff and had to sub it out and mm-hmm. you know, whole thing. And so he said, well, he goes, man, I, I didn't tell him yet. We got a gig this week, but I'm, I'm going to start playing Phil Vassar. So I'm probably yeah. not going to be playing Jerry anymore. I was like, cool. I was like, well, the gig was fun. I don't have a consistent gig right now. I'm just kind of phone calls or, Right. Right. Again, things in. I, I, again, I really wasn't searching for anything because, again, I was like, you know what? Like, not like the universe will present it to me. I'm not, not definitely not that kind of person. But I was like, you know what? Like, I've got stuff going on right now to jump on something that like I have no idea about, or it's going to be. Hmm. You know, there were a few things that popped up as potentials that were super busy, but the money was kind of lower. Hmm. And I'm like, and this was uh, before you know, just it was just Jan and I. But even then, I'm like, dude, that's like my life. <laughs> to yeah. do you know what i'm saying and i'm right. like especially at the time if as an audition situation i'm not getting it even though i worked with the person before um and it was almost like nervous like that i would get the gig and not be able to say no to the money you know what i'm yeah, saying so yeah, like yeah. that was in, in a way it's probably good that situation just passed right by me yeah. so so yeah so uh tim the band leader for jared called me and was like well, and I kind of played dumb. So I don't want to say like, yeah, Jake told me, I, I didn't know their relationship. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he was like, I mean, you kind of know the show already. <laughs> like, you know, right, yeah. like, um, you know, we do a few more tunes on a 90 minute set, but like, you want the gig? Like, and, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. So like, there you go. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. but again, all that of, you know, just like having been through that quite a few times before and on maybe lesser scales of someone calling me to do a Broadway shift. And I mean, it's not necessarily, a, I, there's not 4,000 people packed in there to see us. No, but I mean, it, I think know. going through that and taking every gig seriously and being prepared yeah. or knowing your process or inventing a process that works for you then prepares you for when it is a gig that you really want, you really need. Yeah. I want to ask you about yep. one more thing. Yep. Your setup. You've posted some uh, beautiful pictures of your <laughs> sonar kit and stuff yes. like that. But you have these really shallow toms. I'm really curious uh, about yeah. your setup. Um, what you're using. Well, there. for those, I can't take credit. Um, I actually saw a picture uh, near Z had some of those on a kit. Mm-hmm. And I asked the guys, what was that? And they're like, we have two. I don't know if it's the bottoms. I don't know. They literally like, because if you think about it, if you cut a tom in half, you got two drums out of one. So That's I don't know if it was literally the bottom half of the drums he took or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they had him there and that whole setup started. Um, we, uh, when I got with Jared, he would kind of do the, which again, kind of a cliche statement, the power acoustic trio thing, which would be uh-huh. me on a, they originally said Cajon. I talked him out of that. Right. Um, good work. And, uh, <laughs> and then Tim playing acoustic and Jared plays acoustic. And so we yeah. would go do gigs like that. So we did a run of shows at the end of last year, uh, with somebody, supposed to be acoustic jared's whole thing is man he's a great performer um and front man like whether it's ten thousand people or 100 people yeah you know awesome. he you know he doesn't kind of put that wall up i mean he can yeah. acknowledge the room and so again chris our tour manager at the time was like dude we should do a whole tour of this 
Mm. You know, because, you know, Jared doesn't have a record out right now. You know, we're working, but like there's quite a few venues that at the full band whole shebang price might be a little bit like, I don't know, but maybe for, you know, let's go, let's go play. Just have some fun rooms. You know, we did a bunch of beach clubs. It ended up up being really cool. We called it the tall boys and short stories tour, you know, and Mm -hmm. shows kind of, and we have a set list and some nights it it just depends, man. It depends the vibe where we're Mm -hmm. at. Jared and everything. So anyhow, we, I was kind of experimenting like, what do I want to do? And he initially was like, I just want something kind of weird from everybody. So our bass player came out with us. He was playing a youth bass. And I brought like the thing kind of going back, like people translating people. I say they want weird drum stuff, but then they want it all to sound like a drum set. I know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, so yeah. they, they want the look of like different stuff, but they want a kick drum sound, a snare drum sound, a hi-hat and some cymbals. So, I got that. I've, I've been through that before with people. Right. And, and I don't discredit that. That's, that's just what makes it energy, man. You know, right, right, like right. it's like when I, for example, when I changed drum companies, I wanted everything I saw to be my current drum company. Just, I don't know why, you know, it's just a little thing. Like, I don't want to look over and see that symbol stand, Like that's a different, you know, it just takes my mind back to something else. Yeah. It's like, I like to, you know, if, if I buy in the equipment or whatever, I want it all to be the same or yeah. stuff that I like, you know, yeah. I'm using currently. So, so anyhow, um, I was experimenting with a few things, and the thing about, again, Jared's music kind of like, if you know people are familiar with it, you know, he kind of has like a beach vibe about a lot of it. So a lot of percussion and we didn't mm-hmm. take out a percussionist. And so I'm like, man, I want more sounds, but I don't want like a, just a normal looking drum set. So I got those toms mm-hmm. and I was like, man, like you can kind of, you know, they're, what are the sizes? They're, they're 10 and 12 and they're, jeez. Mm-hmm. Three inches deep, two inches deep. I don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah. like they're just below the the lug casing. Yeah, um, and they wrapped them to match this kit that that uh, near had as well. And so I took those toms. I'm like, man, they're super cool. They're kind of concert Tommy. They're kind of timbale. Yeah. And um, and I was like, man, and then it looks cool. It's, it it's does. This, look yeah, cool. it's yeah. A, they call it the California uh, blue. Oh, it's a beautiful. Yeah, one. you know, yeah. and um, and so I was like. Man, also just the the prop on stage. I want to have this cool looking drum set. So I used I was using the other drums for a little bit, and so I actually got a uh, original 1960s um, kick drum, um, wow. teardrop sonar. Yeah, I found it had a bad rap. I'm perfect. I'm gonna get it rewrapped. <laughs> yeah. And then I got a, a floor tom wrapped in that finish. And uh, so yeah, man, it's been a really really fun setup. Um, I actually just started added on uh, because one thing there was about two songs where we had a percussionist during like the mm-hmm. first chorus, we would do it down and he would play uh, a djembe on it. Okay. And I was like, man, we, me and the sound guy, he's a drummer as well. We were just talking how much we missed it. I was trying to do it with like my snares off and like mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. like a brush rod type thing. Yeah. Close, but not nah, tried it with my hands. Yeah. It was fun until I just beat my hands up. And, um, and I was like, wait a second. You've seen the Remo Mondo snares. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, they stopped making them, but they you can get them custom. And I'm a Remo guy. So I was like, Hey man, do you guys have it? And he's like, yeah, we got like two in stock. So I, I, I bought one and uh, dude, it's the coolest drum, man. I got the 12 inch one. Um, and so it's actually, you can play it with a stick. It's super sensitive. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah. where I did have a, a side snare that was um, the, the jungle snare, which is like a, almost like a tambourine looking snare drum sonar made mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and getting cool drum, you know, uh, cause I, I wanted to fill a lot of sounds with it being acoustic. And so I got that so I can kind of play. It's, I didn't have the bot quite the bottom of a djembe, mm-hmm. um, but you get the attack of a djembe. So, yeah. you know, I can turn that off. I can play a shaker and play that on my side. I can play the kit. I've got a couple of little jingly things and, you it know, it probably looks cool too. Yeah. Yeah. It just does, man. It goes with it, you know, and it's just a fun, fun setup to play, you know? So I'm actually, I'm, I'm really digging it. Like, 
I got the green color tone, uh, drum heads to match. Um, you know, so it's, it's, but, uh, on those heads, man, like, uh, you know, I think we've all played some like version of like a colored drum head, of, you know, yeah, the you've years. Got this green. Yeah. Do they sound great? I mean, that was like yeah. Bruce again, the guy I was mentioned earlier who I, okay. I talked to at Remo. He was like, man. And he's a, I mean, he gets in the science of drum heads and again, being a tech, the mm-hmm. studio stuff it's like it's got stuff's got to sound good and yeah. he's like actually they, they sound a little different than an emperor even though they're emperor weight um but they sound good yeah and like i use the snare head which is like uh they call it p77 it's clear yeah. it sounds so fat and huge like i'm just yeah man like i said it, it's just a really fun set and it's just a way to approach it of you know um because i think for a 90 minute show because again with this man this setup we've done clubs that are maybe 200 people and then we'll mm-hmm. do places a few thousand. Yeah. And I think that the, the super small thing would have just, you know, we would have looked like yeah, tiny yeah. up there, you know, not that we're trying to do this big production. Cause the whole idea is that it's somewhat stripped down. Right. Um, right. if people want to see it, like if they're interested in your following you, yeah, on Instagram, yeah. are you Z drums? Yeah. Uh, Z drums with the Z on the end as well. So Z D R U M Z. And then, um, just, uh, Zach Stewart drums for, uh, Facebook. Or just yeah. Zach Stewart, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I usually like post pictures of it because it just it just looks cool, man. It's like one of the funnest looking uh-huh. kits I've ever owned and played. I think there's – and, and I'll probably – we usually have about a half a dozen pictures that we put. So like okay. on the website and show notes and stuff like that, I'll, we'll make sure that there's a – there's probably a picture of you behind the kit and a couple of, you know. Sweet. <laughs> so I won't put just the picture of the kit on yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. getting shown up. Yeah. But – um. But yeah, man, now it's that's, a you know, fun that's thing. That's fun, man. Yeah. Yeah, Sounds. and they do sound good. Yeah. Well, man, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we, yes. We've talked about this back when uh, my Zach, Isaac, was taking lessons yeah. from you. Um, but I appreciate you making the time to do this, man. It's been really cool. Oh, thank you, and man. And kind of good to get to know you a little bit more and, and what's been happening. So, And, and good luck with everything. And like the, the karate thing, if you're local and you're interested in karate. What is, your, what is the dojo again? Uh, traditional Karate Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just go to traditionalkaratenashville.com or same thing, search us on Facebook. Yeah. You know, um, you have adult classes. Yep. We have kids, classes mm-hmm. for kids starting at four years old. And then, yeah, we have classes for adults as well. Yeah. So, well, we really yeah. enjoyed it. It was really good for Zach, uh, for Isaac to do before he got super involved in, in guitar and stuff like that. But it was a really good time for him. And I appreciate your your commitment and your instruction and stuff like that for, for my son. It was great. Mm-hmm. But thanks for this today, yeah, man. Yeah, thank you, man. Seriously, yeah, it's fun. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Many thanks to Zach Stewart. It has been quite a while that we've been trying to plan to get together and do an interview for the podcast. He was a great karate instructor for my son Isaac, and I appreciate the time and dedication he puts into that practice, and it was a great experience for my son. But also, uh, just to get to know him a little bit more as a drummer and the stuff that he's been doing here in Nashville. As I think I mentioned in the interview, he is a relatively new father, so he's got many things to juggle, and just the way he's negotiating his busy schedule I think is really important to understand. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview of Mark Cobb of the Yacht Rock Review. Once again, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash workingdrummer. There you can see how you can donate and support the podcast. We have bonus content for as little as a dollar a month. 
you can have access to the bonus content. And most recently, like I had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have this great 50-minute video that our friend Brian Stevens has produced all about preparing and analyzing your recording chops. But once again, I thank you so much for listening and keep in touch. Hope to see you around. Bye-bye.